here. Pastor Joe will finish it up next week. And then in September, we're going to dig into the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, we will be there for a while because it's a long book, but you can be reading ahead and praying uh, as we do that. It's a great, just amazing, glorious book about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm really excited to dig in there. So be reading ahead. Um, I'm going to read our text for today, and then we'll pray. Colossians 1, starting in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. We know that no matter what the city looks like today, the city belongs to you. You are the king. Uh, We know that no matter what our lives look like today, we know that you're going to complete the good work that you've begun in us. And we stand on those promises now as we dig into your word. Jesus, help us to see you today. Help us to see you more clearly. I just pray of all the things that are just of me that they would be forgotten, but the things that are of you, the things that turn our hearts to the reality of who you are, that help us see you seated on your throne, king forever. Lord, that those things would, wouldn't just be something that impact uh, Saturday, or Sunday morning, or Sunday afternoon, but those would be things that impact Wednesday afternoon, or Wednesday morning, or 2 a.m. with the kids uh, when you don't want to be up. I pray that the gospel would just envelop our lives and that you would turn every, every act of our life into an act of worship and proclamation of your glory. We can only do this if you'd send us the Spirit. So please do that. And please glorify yourself in this time. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. So the question we're getting at today uh, is this. What does it mean for the reality of Jesus to get into every single crevasse of our lives? Right? We, we can talk about this. We can talk about having a gospel identity. We can talk about the reality of be- Jesus being it. We can say that our whole lives are about Jesus. But what, what does it matter? How, how? How does that get into Tuesday? Right? How does this thing that is our life in Jesus not just be a two-hour awesome appointment? We love this time. This is a great time we get to come together to worship Jesus and sing songs to him and preach the word. But how does this thing that's happening this morning, how does this kind of spill out into 2 a.m. when all the kids are up and everyone's screaming? How does this spill out into uh, your trip to the grocery store? How does this spill out to work? How does this spill out to your kids? How does this spill out to your friends? How does this spill out into your life? How does the reality of Jesus impact the sum total of your entire life? That's a big question. We've kind of been working through this hymn in Colossians 1, uh, and now we kind of get to the so what sections. Right. So now what do we do? What do we do with this? Um, today Paul's going to show us how do we get the gospel, how do we get the reality of Jesus into every little crevice of our lives? The power of the cross. Past, present, and future. Let's go ahead and dig in here in uh, 21. And you. That's important. Uh, in the Greek that says and you. Uh, and you. You. Not, uh, 
not your neighbor at the other church that you wish their pastor would just tell them something they need to hear, uh, not your dad somewhere else, not the guy sitting next to you, not your husband or your wife. You're like, this is, do you hear that? I hope you heard that. Did you hear that thing he said? It's for you, buddy. Um, you. Paul's writing to you, Anchor Church. Uh, every time you see one of these sections, uh, it's important that you don't just think, oh, Colossae or some church I've never heard of in some place that I couldn't even find on a map. When Paul says you, uh, the Holy Spirit's talking to you. The Bible's talking to you in this moment. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing uh, evil deeds. This is who you were. This, this is who we were before we met Jesus. We were estranged. This, this language here, uh, 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 alienated, we were estranged. We were running from God. We were rebelling from God. That's who you were, right? But what did Jesus do? He came down and crushed the beef with all my rebelling, and he came down and pursued me and got me, and some of us can even clearly say, and he got me kicking and screaming, and I'm holding on to the sink, and I don't want to let go, and he's releasing us from the life and the death that we had to give us life, to call us to himself, to save us from ourselves. That was you. That was you. What does Paul want us to see there? I mean, how much humility should we have towards our city? How much kindness and generosity and love should we have towards other people? And we're like, why doesn't this guy just get it? And you. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. This word mind, uh, if you see it in the Old Testament, it's the word uh, that often referred to as heart. It's at the core of your being. At the core of your being, you lived a life hostile to God. And you might say, you know what, I, I wasn't a guy who was out picketing churches, and I didn't even think about God. I didn't care about God. I didn't, what do you mean I was hostile to God? Here's the deal. Uh, what, what, we, what we do naturally, what, what our thing is, is us. Uh, the number one problem in your life is you. The number one thing we love is us. And so often, the whole point of our life is that we turn everything in on me, and we think that everybody and everything is made for me. Here's the reality of life. Everything and everybody was made for God. Everybody and everything was made for God. And God's awesome because he's invited us into a party. He's invited us in the way we glorify and point to him with our whole life. We take everything he made and we write it on up to him. And we say, God, you're amazing for making uh, uh, coffee at 6 in the morning. And you're amazing for making leaves turn colors. And uh, 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 the taste of blackberries when you're picking them. And you know, this might be a dangerous thing because I'm, I'm in an urban situation. And I don't know what's on this blackberry, but they are so good. That was a good blackberry. Thank you, Jesus. And then you pray, may nothing bad happen to me because I ate the blackberry. Right? But instead what we do is we take that Blackberry and we make it about me. We, we make everybody in our lives about us. Our, our, everything is there to serve us. And when we do that, we try and displace God from his right place in the center of the universe because he's the one that's supposed to be there. And that's hostile and that's from the core of our being. That's the bad news. Wait, it keeps going. Oh, and by the way, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Uh, Ezekiel 14.5 says that one of the main ways that we're estranged to God is that we build idols, right? Because all of those things and the big number one idol is me or you in your life. You know, I hope it's not me. That would be weird. Um, but you in your life, right? That's the main thing you worship. That's the main thing you're after. That's the main thing at the center of life. When? When? And you, who once were alienated. 
once were alien. You've actually been given life in Christ. You've been given something, an alternative to that, where you can actually not be the guy at the center. And granted, that's a fight, right? You have to fight that this morning when you've got to share the bathroom with somebody or something, right? It's a fight to make sure that Jesus is the one at the center and he's the one in the middle. But our whole lives, we're invited into that because guess what? That is life. That is joy. That is the gift of life that Jesus Christ has given us to no longer be estranged and no longer be alienated and no longer be the one trying to wrestle for center of gravity and everything. Uh, Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says that you, again you, once, again past, you are hated and hating. You're hated by others and you hated others. Now you look around and say, I don't have a lot of like, hate in my life. I don't run around like punching guys in the nose or whatever. But at the end of the day, what I think what Paul's getting at is that when you want to put you at the center, we're always doing the survival of the fittest, king of the mountain, uh, top of the dog pile thing, right? And when we do that, everybody else is just in the way of you getting the stuff that you want, right? And that might not blatantly look like you uh, throwing darts at someone's picture on the, back of your, on the back of your door or whatever, but it does look like you trying to get the upper hand on everybody else, and that's the exact opposite of what Jesus did. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what he did here. So we keep reading. And you who once were alienated. That's important. It's really important. Once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Um, you, this is who we were. When we take communion, we need to remember, right, that this is the body broken and bloodshed for you. That's us. We're going to do that in a few minutes, right? It's for you to end this thing that we're talking about. And, and here's, here's a big deal. Uh, we as the church can have grace for a lot of different kinds of people. We can operate with a lot of grace. I mean, you're, if you're an urbanite Christian, if you live in the Seattle metro area, you have to live with a lot of grace for a lot of people because there's a lot of people living a life that's not a Christian life. You're not even supposed to hold them to the standard and be like, you should live like me because I'm a Christian and you're not, so I'm going to try and do everything I can to make you live like me. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to know the point is for me today, my aim in your life is not that your behavior would change, but that you would meet Jesus and live, okay? The aim is that I want you to actually meet a person whose name is Jesus, not just clean your life up and put on the Sunday bests. Because you can put on your Sunday best all day long and still be just as dead as anybody else, okay? Sin, sin's way bigger than just the wrong things we do. Sin's the right things we do for the wrong reasons. What do I mean by that? Talk about the inward-centered inward proclivity of sin, you're having a pizza party, and there's that last delicious piece of pizza. You would like to eat it, but you want to make sure, no, I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to let this guy have it. But I need to make sure this guy knows that I'm sacrificing my life so that he can throw me a parade and know how magnanimous I am for giving him the last piece of pizza. It sounds trite. It sounds small. But when you think about what your aim is there, your aim is that he'd think you're awesome over a piece of pizza. Right thing, wrong reason. Jesus gave you everything. So you don't need ten pieces of pizza. Nine pieces of pizza are acceptable. As long as they're small pieces of pizza. Right? You actually have everything in Jesus. That's the source of our generosity as well. Man, I've been given the universe. So yeah, you can have the Canadian bacon and pineapple. Not a big deal. But not so you'll throw me a parade. 
Because I have everything. Because the cross of Jesus. Because what he's done. Praise the Lord. And I can even have joy giving it to you. I can give it over and be generous. It's yours. It's, it's not actually even wrong for you to feel good about it. Right? Because you're riding it back on up to the glory of God and everything he's done for you. Okay? So we can have grace for those outside the church and we have grace for those inside the church. Brand new baby Christians, right? How much grace do you have for someone who uh, walks in off the street and becomes a Christian? Well, man, he's, he's struggling with all kinds of stuff. He met Jesus yesterday. I'll go, I'll go all day with that guy. I will help him left and right. I will do everything to serve this guy. And then how excited are we for that guy when we bring him up and we give him his testimony? He says, last week I was addicted to this and I was hooked on that and I was doing this and Jesus saved me. Praise the Lord. But we do something if we're not careful. There's, a, there's just a shift if we're not careful. And, and Anchor Church, we have to watch out for this. There's this shift that happens. And I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is this. The more you mature in Christ, the more is expected of you. To, to much who is given, much will be expected. He's sanctifying you for a reason. He's sanctifying you for his purposes. He wants to use you to bless others and to worship him. He expects some things from you, church. But at the point in time in which uh, the thing that feels like maturity or even oh, leadership roles in a church becomes the thing where we become uh, afraid to repent or to confess that we're sinners or to stand in our brokenness and say, I need help. It's too much. I need some help. Can someone help me over here? I need someone to meet with me. I need someone to get a coffee with me. I need someone to pray for me. And you're like, well, you know, I'm a community group leader. And if I tell someone I need help because I'm struggling, then they'll know I'm, a, I'm not a good community group leader anymore. And then I won't be able to be a community group leader anymore. And you have no grace for yourself, for starters. And you're going to live in the dark. And be the thing you love more than Jesus is being a community group leader in that moment. And I love you way more than you being a community group leader. You know what I mean? Like, rarely do we bring that guy up and celebrate him. Sometimes we'll bring up the guy who's like, I grew up in a King James-only church. Um, we were very fundamentalist. I never heard the gospel. I just met Jesus. Bring him up. He just got saved. We'll baptize that guy, right? But the guy who's like the got-it-together community group leader guy who's struggling and hurting, who says, I'm going to put my community group aside. I'm going to put my leadership aside so that I can worship Jesus because Jesus is more valuable than that. I'm going to be honest with my stuff so I can love my kids and my family better. We rarely bring that guy up. Have you ever seen that guy brought up? Bring that guy up. Got-it-together guy needs to confess some sin and say that Jesus redeemed him from it. We're like, oh, shh. The grace is overwhelming. The grace is enveloping. There is so much grace for you, and that's what Paul wants you to know here. And you, this is who you were. And you, this is who the grace is for. 22. Oh, man, it gets good here. So he, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's, let's kind of take that thing apart. Let's take that thing apart. Let's just start at the top. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh. Paul wants to be clear. Real human Jesus, fully God, fully human, died on a cross for you. He died so you can live. If you don't know Jesus today, you need to know that he died so that you can live. If you're running and rebelling from God, you need to know that he died so that you can live. That's what God did on the cross to save you from yourself. He died so you can live. Praise the Lord. 
Here's what we do. We reconcile ourselves in other ways. You're now reconciled, by the way. You're now reconciled. Right now, you're reconciled. But we do a couple of things. One, we can kind of do the guilt thing, where you kind of like put yourself to bed without dinner. You know, I really shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I need to find some way to punish myself for the thing that I've done, so God will forgive me. Is that the gospel, by the way? No. Do we do that? You may have done that this week, right? The other thing we do is we do religion. I'm going to read my Bible on time, 5.35 a.m. till 5.55 when I get out of bed and do the whatever, blah, 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 blah. Read your Bible. Don't ever hear me say things like, let's not be religious about reading our Bible and say, cool, then I'm not going to read my Bible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if the point of you reading your Bible is to pay God back for what he's done, I'm sorry, friends, he's already reconciled you and you've already been paid for. Okay? Here's what he wants from you in the Bible and prayer, fasting, partying, whatever it might be. He wants you to know that you've been reconciled and he wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to talk with you and he wants to tell you some things. We're going to dig into Hebrews. And many times, in many ways, God spoke at first, who? To our fathers by the prophets, but these last days he's spoken to us by his son. This is the word of God. This is what he, his record, this is the love letter he sent to us so that we can open it up and hear his very words. So all of a sudden, if I take this thing that he's done, this gift he's given me, and it's just my way of saying, I'm going to be reconciled to you. I'm going to pay you back. Uh, I owe you some time. You died on a cross, and I'll give you 25 minutes. That's not going to be joy. I want you to read your Bible with joy. I want you to hear and pray and ask, Holy Spirit, will you show me Jesus? Give me, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Help me to know what needs to change in my life. Change me, God. But when we do religion, when we do, I did the right things to pay God back. Is that the gospel? No, that is not the gospel. One more thing we can tend to do. We make promises. Do you ever do this? God, I promise if I don't get busted right now, I will never do that again. I know I shouldn't have done that, and I'm, I'm probably going to get in a lot of trouble. And if you would let me go this time, God, I promise I will never do that again, and we'll be right, and I'll... God shows you grace. you ever probably should have been in more trouble that would have really messed up your whole life and he showed you some favor. That's not because you did anything. That's because he is gracious and kind to you. Let's be clear there. You don't make a promise and say, God, I promise not to while out and get crazy because you did this thing. You say, God, you're better than wiling out and getting crazy. I'm going to turn from wiling out and getting crazy and turn to you. He doesn't owe you nothing. He died on the cross to save you from yourself and so you're supposed to sit in that reality and be like, oh, I'm wiling out. I'm doing what I want to do. I think I'm at the center of the universe. I'm not going to make a promise so God will keep me out of trouble. I'm going to realize that he's the king and I'm going to get out of his spot. I'm going to get off his throne. Okay? And you, oh, sorry, wrong verse, 22. And he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Uh, two hermeneutical that's the fancy pants word for it. Two little tricks for reading your Bible. Three. Read it slow. Please don't read your Bible too fast that you miss what he's saying. Two. This has nothing to do with what I'm saying here, but it is helpful. Pay attention to the pronouns. Pay attention to whether it's Jesus or God the Father or the Holy Spirit at work because you'll see how richly Trinitarian the Scriptures are. God the Father sending His Son by the power of the Spirit to redeem a church who He then sends in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit for the glory of the Father. Pay attention to the pronouns. Pronouns count. 
Pay attention to tenses. We're going to pay attention to some tenses here in 22. Okay, pay attention as I read it. Listen to the tenses. He has now, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. When did he die? If you're now reconciled, when did he die? Yesterday, 2,000 years ago. That's in the past. The now's in the present. Okay. So he has now reconciled, this present tense, reconciled, wait, past tense, in the body of flesh of death, uh, that's past tense, in order to present you, future tense, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul, what the heck are you talking about? What are you doing, man? That's not how you write a sentence. Let's take it apart. Past. He's reconciled you. Church, when did you get reconciled? There's a sense that you probably have a time. Many of you know the time I was reading the Bible, I realized I'm in a lot of trouble. Jesus is a good God, and I want him to be my God. And Jesus saved me for myself in my parents' living room reading a little orange Gideon Bible. I tell that story often because it's a giant Ebenezer in my life. And it's awesome because that's what he does with the word. When do you pay the price for my sins? Didn't die on the cross when I was in the living room. That would have been weird. Past tense. Past tense. He died on the cross on Golgotha 2,000 years ago to save me from myself. Okay? So past tense, present tense. Follow me here. So he is now reconciled in his body. So you're now reconciled. What do you have to do to crush the beef between you and God? Nothing, because Jesus crushed it all. What can you do to make yourself, in an eternal sense, right with God? What can you do to earn his love or favor? What can you do to pay him back that he needs anything made by human hands for you to be his and for him to love you and for you to love him? Nothing. Because it's finished. That Greek word can be translated paid in full. It's dealt with in all totality on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's where we've got to stop for a minute. Paid in full. So that you're now reconciled to God. Right now, in your seat. I don't care what happened last night. I don't care what happened on the way to church. I don't care what happened Wednesday afternoon. You're reconciled if you're his. And there is the power to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. I'm not turning from my sin uh, to pay him back for reconciling me. I'm turning from my sin because Jesus is that much better and he's done everything that needs to happen for me to turn from my sin and live. He died so you can live. He has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death on a very real cross, a very real Jesus died a very real death. In order to present you, future tense, the end of time, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy and blameless. When are we being presented to him? Future tense. When are you holy? Presently. So am I saying that you're without sin? No. We're going to have some problems if we start saying things like that, right? 
Am I saying that you're not going to have sin in this life? Am I going to say that you're not going to be surprised at how enamored you are with the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ? Get in your car and flip off the guy. Don't do this, by the way. But you know what I mean? You get in your car and you go and you find yourself, all of a sudden rage bubbles up because someone cut you off and you realize it's me in a U-Haul and you're like, oh no, and then I'm... <laughs> and you're surprised with yourself. And you're like, I, 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 just, I just spent time gazing at the face of Jesus. I spend time singing my guts out to him because he loves me so much. And then this happened, and you have to realize there's this now and not yet reality in your life in Christ. You are holy because all your sins are paid for. Not only is last night's sin paid for, Wednesday morning's sin is paid for. Tuesday afternoon's sin is paid for. Now, this is where I have to stop, and we have to take a small trip into the letter of Hebrews. Paul says something really clear. If you hear me saying that, and then you take your phone and you get out of your Bible app and you start making a list of the things you're going to do this afternoon because it's paid for, Paul's going to say, you didn't hear anything I said. If you hear that you have life and then you turn to death, you missed it. Paul's going to say in Romans, he's not even sure if you're a Christian at that point in time. If you're saying, oh, he's paid the price for everything so I can do whatever I want to do. Excellent. i got to page some people, look up some old phone numbers, right? No. But we realize all of a sudden we have this thing as we're going through life that when you do something like yell at the guy in the U-Haul that you can be so quick to just hold that thing down and look at it and say, why the heck did I do that? I did that because I think I'm at the center of everything. You can own it. That was sin. Jesus, please forgive me. And you can get right back out of your spot and say, you belong there, Jesus, not me. Welcome to repentance. But did you do that to earn his love? No, you did that because you are loved. Let's keep going. So the now and not yet reality. And now he's going to present us holy and blameless. This is always hard for me to imagine, but there's a time coming when he restores this world and this people, all the people, all the people that are his, the church that are his. And you'll never sin again. That's what Jesus is doing in your life. You will never again approach the last pizza pizza looking for a parade. Ever. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, he did it all, in order to present you, Anchor Church, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, uh, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you indeed continue in the faith. It turns out in Colossae, uh, there are probably guys, and he's not even sure what they're doing. He just, if you read ahead and you get to chapter 2, he kind of gets this thing where he's like, I'm not sure what you guys are peddling, but it ain't the gospel and you need to stop. Okay, so he's saying, there's guys who have shifted. It turns out they weren't actually Christians, they didn't actually love Jesus, and they just got into secret wisdom, and they just got into whatever kind of thing they're doing. He doesn't even know, but he knows they're up to something. Probably has to do with angels, and he's on it, Right? And so this is how we get the gospel into our lives. These words here. Stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Stable, steadfast, not shifting. Stable is external. It means like a foundation, like laying a foundation it's the external stuff. 
But what do we know about external stuff? Is it external stuff that saves you? No. Is it external stuff that changes you? Can you get changed from the outside in? Can you try harder, white knuckle it, and become a better person? No. Can it be sometimes hard to detect on the outside what's actually going on inside? Yeah. I mean, Jesus shows up on the scene and everybody looks at the Pharisees and say, these guys have it together. And Jesus says, no, they don't. Try again. They're close, but really, really far all at the same time. It's the steadfast. It's the internal. That word steadfast has a, a, an internal connotation. Our hearts have to change. If you want the things in your life to change, you need to stop and examine what's going on inside. If you're confused at why you're doing something, well, you need to own it first to know you wanted to do it. It's not somebody else's fault. You've got to own it. And then second, ask, why am I doing this? What am I not seeing? What's not changing inside? What's not happening inside what, what's not going on in my heart that helps me to understand? Uh, well, I've just got this guy, and I just, ah, man, he's annoying. And I just can't be gracious or kind or serve him because he's so annoying. And then I stop and I realize how annoying I can be. And I stop and realize how much Jesus must be annoyed with me if, if I think in those terms. Like, how annoying my sin. It's not annoying, is it? It's much bigger. And I realize all of a sudden, for any of this guy's annoying Jesus that much more paid the price for my sins and how much grace and generosity can I have for him, which hopefully manifests in the external, but starts with the internal. It starts with me seeing Jesus more clearly, right? And then building my whole life. Paul does not not want external stuff to happen. Paul wants the insides of our lives to change first around the person of Jesus. And then from there, we build the rhythm of our life around the gospel of Jesus. He says in uh, Matthew 7, good trees bear good fruit. We want to see fruit in your life. We, we want to see you make disciples. We want to see you tell people about Jesus. We want to see you love your wives and husbands and kids and your friends and your neighbors. But I tell you what, the way that you start loving your neighbors is not by waking up one day saying, I'm going to love my neighbors. I'm going to show them. But by understanding first how much you've been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> how infinite his love is in your life, and responding to that love, then you love them. And you want to build your whole life. So these two ideas, stable and steadfast. So it starts with the inside, but Paul is after our outsides too, right? He actually wants things to be different in your life. He wants your life to be a display of the gospel. But from the inside, we begin to build a life that's centered around and hunkered down around Jesus. We begin to find the people in our lives that are going to encourage us towards Christ. We try and find the people that we get to encourage towards Christ. We look for the people that we're going to tell about the gospel. We look at how my job or, or, or my hobbies, if you've got them, uh, or, or, or my house, how's my house going to be uh, an overflow of the love that I have for Jesus? How is, how is this going to change? And we begin to build, our, I mean, just little stuff, little, little, little stuff. My kids gave me stickers, and you'd say, man, you're a grown man with a bunch of Iron Man stickers on your bag. Why is that? Because my kids come home from the grocery store, and they say, I have a prayer trigger for you, Papa. And they give me the thing, and I put it on my bag, and I see it. And every time I see it, I pray for the kid who gave it to me. It's a prayer trigger to call me back to reality. We need to live lives that are going to continuously call us back to this reality, that Jesus is taking care of our past, He's taking care of our present, and he will take care of our future. 
okay? We need to build our lives in such a way, because I don't know about you, but how easy do you find it to forget that? Right? How, how quickly uh, do you go off toward, how quickly do you wake up late on the alarm and get out of bed and brush your teeth and leave the house and go to work? You don't even think about Jesus. You don't even consider, I have breath in my lungs. Praise the sovereign God who made everything. How do we do this? We're not shifting. They've shifted in Colossae. They've moved to something else. Everything in our culture, everything in the world, and the systems around you are calling you to shift to get your eyes off of Jesus. Everything. You're going to leave here today, and everything you're going to see on your way home is going to say, look at me, look at me, I'm bright, I'm shiny. Come get me like a crow gets a, a, a piece of tin foil. I, I, you have an iPad? Here's a new iPad. Oh, you have a big iPad? I got a small iPad. Oh, you got the old phone. Well, the new phone's amazing, right? One product that I can do that with, let alone every other thing that's calling your appetite and your desires to shift from Jesus to something else. Everything. Everything. From what? From the gospel. The gospel that Jesus saves sinners. If you're a sinner you've been, and you're a Christian, you're a sinner who's been saved. Right? This is who you are. I mean, we can't say it enough. He's paid the price to save you from yourself and from your sin, from Satan and from death. And he's given you life. He's given you life in the Spirit. He's given you life with God the Father. Jesus has done it all so that you can know him and love him every day of your life. So you can live a life where you're praying without ceasing. This word holy and blameless uh, means uh, there's a connotation of meaning that you can approach deity because he's washed you clean. You're holy and you have full access to God all the time. This is life. He's always on the other end. When you're in your room and things are desperate and things are hard and you feel like he cannot hear you, can he hear you? Can the Lord Jesus Christ hear you when it feels like he cannot hear you? Yes. Why? Because he paid the price on the cross to make you his own, to wash you clean and you have full access to God through Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means in your darkest, desperatest moment, when he just feels like he's gone, he's there. Bonhoeffer said we have a God of truth and not feeling. It's not about working it up in that dark moment. I got I to gotta get the mood right. I got to put on some Chris Tomlin and hang out until I feel like something's happening. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm an urban pastor. I'm not supposed to know who that is, sorry. And half of everybody's like, who is that? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> We have a God of truth and not feeling. We have a God who loves you more than you love him and yourself. And he loves you and he's taking care of you and he's there and he hears you and he knows you. And he knows you. And this is life. This is life. Now here Paul says something interesting. Because he says of this gospel that you heard which has proclaimed all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What he's trying to do here is trying to contrast what's happening because you've got these guys, these what are probably, if you really care about the technical, they're probably proto-Gnostics. They're a bunch of dudes who think a bunch of weird stuff and think it's all secret. And they think they've got, they, they would say things like, oh, you're in middle school Christianity, we're in high school Christianity. Oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Nah, that's, that's junior high stuff. We're doing weird stuff. You want to come do some weird stuff? 
No thank you, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible told me so. That is an amazing song. There's a reason we sing that sometimes. You don't need pretend high school fake stuff. And what Paul's saying is this thing is open. This thing's to all creation. We're, pre- we're preaching open air. We, we're not hiding anything. We're giving you it all. This is the gospel and you can have it all. This is the good news. Okay, that's, that's what he's doing here. That's why he says this. Okay, so how does this then, coming back to our question, now that we've looked at this, how does this get into Tuesday morning? How does this reality that Jesus Christ has dealt with my past, he's dealt with my present, he's dealing with my future, well, first of all, let's talk about how much comfort you can find in that. If yesterday seemed sucky and today seems worse and tomorrow doesn't look a lot better, he's there. It turns out when you get through that, you look back and you're like, man, God was at work every step of the way. And you can rest assured, he has yesterday locked down. Well, if he's doing pretty good with yesterday, I think the sovereign God of the universe is probably doing pretty good right now and today, even if I don't know it. And if he's doing pretty good with today when I actually have my eyes open, well, I'm, I have a lot of confidence in what he's going to do with tomorrow. I, I have faith that he who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion. Right? That's, that's where I'm resting. Not that I'm going to bring it to completion, but he's going to bring it to completion. Okay. So, so how then do we get this out? How does Tuesday morning change? We're, we're seeking to live our lives of holiness. A life set apart, a life different. We're seeking to live our lives uh, in response to Jesus. We're seeking to... Is there stuff in your life that needs to change? <laughs> Maybe just me, right? Is there stuff that you're like, I want that to change. I'm not even sure how it's going to change. You know, at the old age of 32... I've seen a lot of change in my life by God's grace. And then I look and I see other stuff. I'm like, man, what was under that rock? Goodness gracious. I don't like that. I want that to be different. I want this to be changed. I want to be changed. I want to live a different life than this. And at the core of what happens is the core of our lives becoming a living sacrifice. Our lives being alive in Christ is is living that whole life actively seeking Jesus. And so um, we have to fight for joy, for starters. I tell you what, you're not going to go to bed and wake up holy. Well, sometimes the Holy Spirit does that. And you can pray for that. Do pray for that. But even then, you don't wake up completely glorified and sanctified. Even if you go to bed and you wake up convicted and changed, there's still stuff that's got to go in your life. There's still stuff that's got to change. How do we actively get after this? It, it has to do not with you figuring out the stuff that you can white knuckle or the spiritual push-ups you can do, but setting your eyes on Jesus, getting your eyes off your navel as much as possible and more and more upon Jesus and as an outflow of Jesus loving God and loving others. But how? Right? How? That's nice. Cool. Tell me about Tuesday morning. How do I actually do this? We begin by... Uh, Paul says to Timothy, he says, hey, this is the total remix, by the way, lifting weights is of some good. Just after I use a push-up reference, but here we go, more. Um, hey, Timothy, training for godliness, training your body is of some use, but training for godliness is of use in every way. And so we begin to develop the rhythms, not from the outside in, but from the inside out of our life, where you begin to feast on God's word daily. That will, cha- that will change your life. The only people I've ever known to say that reading God's word every day didn't change my life. I asked them, how long did you read it? I read it two days, and then, then I moved on. It didn't work. What did you want it to do? 
I wanted to do X, Y, or Z. It's not a magic book. If you go to this thing to know Jesus more, that will change you. That will change you. Come to this book to feast on Jesus and know him more. Uh, uh, being in God's word, finding the rhythms of our life that are formed around the gospel and that continuously bring our, our minds and our hearts back to reality, back to who he is, back to what he's done. And you've got to fight for that. You've got to fight for that. But when that's on your heart and it's on your mind, all of a sudden you're there and it's target. And you're there in the center of your little kingdom. And your kingdom, uh, there's these other despots in your kingdom. And uh, they're trying to take over, right? And, and there's this green lantern problem. And they're looking at something. And, and, and all of a sudden you realize the only reason you didn't actually raise your voice at your kids in that moment, one despot to another, was because there's a bunch of people at Target. And they're like, isn't that the Christian guy? Right? But in that moment in the Target when you realize... Oh, man, this isn't my kingdom, and my job's not to control these kids. My job is to point these kids to Jesus. And right now, they're little despots centered on themselves. And they need to know that God has blessed them generously. And I need to help them know that Green Lantern is not the ultimate idol of life in this moment. And instead of raising my voice, I get down on their knee, my, you know, whatever, whatever kid level, and have a conversation with a kid. Because I realize I'm just, I, my heart's their heart. I'm in the same spot they're at. I'm trying to control just as much as they are. Green Lantern's not our thing, by the way. So don't get us a bunch of Green Lantern stuff. Right? It's seeing Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Who is Jesus here? Um, what do you do when you're at work and you're at the meeting and you're one of those silly long tables and the guy across from you who you're working with just throws you under the bus? It's all your fault. You did it. Tells the boss, everybody's there, and it makes it look like it's your fault. It's not your fault. He did it. He's, he's the one at fault. What do you do? It's Wednesday afternoon. I'm a Christian. What am I supposed to do this guy? I'm really angry at him. I'm, I'm frustrated with him. I can't believe he did that. When we stop and we pause and we come back to reality and realize there's somebody else who didn't deserve any fault, who took all my fault. There's one who is innocent and blameless and took it all for me to live. His name is Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you don't talk to the guy. I'm just saying you don't go yell at the guy. Throw me under the bus? I'll throw you under the bus. No. We stop and we realize somebody else got thrown under the bus. His name is Jesus, and he died to save us from ourselves. Right. How about when it's your fault? How about when you look at your life and you're like, oh, it's my fault. I failed there. We have a culture where everything is somebody else's fault. Everything else, blame this guy, blame that guy. It's dad's fault, mom's fault, whatever. And I'm not saying, maybe it is. What I want is your fault. When you, when you didn't do the thing you were supposed to do or you did the thing you shouldn't have done, instead of blaming somebody else, instead of doing that, how do we understand? I'm going to stop and pray for the ambulance real quick. King Jesus, we do thank you for for those men and women driving that vehicle and pray that you would go and help them to help people and that they'd be pointed to you today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. All of a sudden, when I understand that it is my fault, I realize this. Even that fault is on the cross. 
So I don't have to blame somebody else or make an excuse. I can actually own my fault because it's paid for. That's the power of repentance, right? That's the power of turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. It's paid for. And you can actually own it. And you can say to your husband, you can say to your wife, that thing I did there was wrong. Please forgive me. And we do so knowing that I don't want to use this example, don't do this. But even if they were to say no, you're actually still forgiven by Jesus. You're actually right with God. That you can own your faults because there's one who came and paid the price for all those faults so that you can live. So we keep Jesus right on the forefront. So there's the good stuff. When you drink the coffee and you realize you have the taste buds that God gave you, you've got breath in your lungs, you've got food on the table, you've got clothes on your back, you've got sunshine, you've got Dick's Burgers and all these wonderful things out there, you can thank the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're dealing with the junk or the mess of your life or suffering, you can turn to Jesus who's been there, the faithful high priest who had to be made like his brothers in every way, who knew no sin but became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. The faithful high priest who you can turn to in temptation and say, Jesus, I need your help. The God of the universe incarnated so that he can say, I know. The God, I mean, he had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he could be a faithful high priest. So you don't come to anything and say, that's a foreign idea to me. You actually come to him and you say, I need your help. He says, I know. So as we go into our week, we start with the internal. We learn how to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus. Man, nothing like praying and being in the Word to help with that, but also finding a way to take that, even if you just, want, even if you just squeeze out one verse, taking that one verse into your life and looking and saying, this is what it shows me about God, this is what it shows me about me, and this is what it shows me about how much I need Jesus, and this is what it shows me how much I need life. It's called Christian not weird Christian meditation. It's always Seattle, so you almost don't even want to use the word meditation. This is you focus your mind on him. You can take a verse, any verse in the Bible, and look at it. It'll show you something about how awesome God is. It'll show you your great need for Jesus. It'll show you what Jesus has done for you, and, it will, and then you realize how much life you've been given. And if you need some help with that, if you want to do a crash course on that, we can do that in like 20 minutes if you want. If you're like, I need that right now, grab me. We'll do it. We'll open the Bible, and I'll show you. It'll take five minutes. And so if you're not a Christian, what does all this mean? If you don't know who Jesus is, what does this mean? At the core of this, you need to understand the God of the universe came into human history to die in the past. So that right now, in your seat, right now, you can be reconciled to God. The beef has been crushed on the cross of Jesus Christ. God came into history to save you from yourself. He's already done everything to make you a Christian. So that you can have life now, and forever, enjoying Jesus forever. As a church, we leave here knowing that you're now reconciled, guys. You're now his. You now get to live for him. You, you now get to pray without ceasing. You now get full access to God all the time. At the job site, at noon, the guy's doing the thing again. And ask for help so you can remember what he's done. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we need your help.
We are so quick to get distracted. We are so quick to get lost. Life is hard here. People are frustrating. Situations are hard. We suffer. I pray that you would show us life. You would show us joy. You would remind us of what you've done. You'd work on your, our hearts. You'd change us. You'd move in our lives. And you'd give us life, Jesus. God, we need you so desperately, Jesus. Please, God, fill us with your spirit. Just give us life. I pray as we stand, we just celebrate. We're forgiven. We're forgiven. It's done in the past. It's now in the present. And you're going to present us, Anchor Church, to you, God, holy and blameless. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.